0: News of the Times, Wicked Wednesdays, Murder by Burying Alive Welcome to News of the Times. In today's episode, we explore three cases from the papers where the method of killing the victim was to bury them alive, purposely. Our first case, from 1870 in Lincolnshire, investigates the story of a man who, having been dumped by his mistress of seven years for another man, takes his revenge by reporting to the magistrates that she has helped to kill their three infants. A very twisted tale, this one. Our second story comes from Pennsylvania, in 1907. The case, which was very famous in its day, recounts a story of a man Obsessed and highly jealous of anyone who stands in the way of his relationship with his new, very beautiful wife, including her daughter. And our last story, from 1922, recounts the story of a man in an unhappy relationship who has found a replacement whilst the wife is visiting her parents. The wife unexpectedly comes back and within a few days she is buried on his allotment, where he was going to plant an apple tree. Three stories of murder by burying alive is today's episode of Wicked Wednesdays. We very much hope you enjoy the show. In the annals of time, being buried alive has been considered one of the cruelest deaths imaginable. News of the Times have already covered stories of accidental burying alive, which was almost a trend, historically, in our episode Stories of Being Buried Alive. In this episode, we look at three cases where the action was done intentionally to kill. Our first story comes from 1870 Lincolnshire. Kirby. Triffitt and Maria Burridge have been carrying on an intimacy for seven years. During this time it is alleged that three children were born illegitimately. Maria's interest in Triffitt wanes, and she begins to share her favours with another man with whom she promises to wed. Triffitt in attempting to woo her back and discuss things breaks into her house maria reports him to the magistrates where he is fined triffitt counters with a horrific story regarding three illegitimate children from the sheffield daily telegraph the first of april eighteen seventy horrible confession of a child murdered by a father three children killed, one buried alive. A confession of murder has been made by a man named Triffitt at Sutton Bridge, and he has implicated a woman named Maria Burridge, who has been a widow for eight years, having been on terms of intimacy with him during that time. He has been a singer in the Wesleyan Chapel, where she played the harmonium. "'Triffitt states that for the past seven years "'he has been in the habit of visiting Mrs. Burridge, "'but that recently a carter named Richardson "'had been the favoured visitor, "'and to him it was said she was shortly to be married.' "'On Thursday night at about eleven o'clock, "'Triffitt went to the house,' but could get no recognition of his knock, from which he imagined that Richardson was in the house. He then entered, but found no one there except Mrs. Burridge. For this act she summoned him before the magistrates, who fined him for the offence. This he resented, and at once stated that Burridge had had three children, which had been murdered and buried burridge on hearing this disclosure coolly replied how can you say so you know it's false triffitt asserted that his statement was true and that he himself had buried the first of the children in his father's garden about five years ago and offered if the police would go with him to show them the exact spot on going to a garden and digging A child's remains were found. Triffitt states that the woman gave him the child over the fence, and promised if he would bury it, she would never have any other man but him. He also said the child was alive when she gave it to him, and then, whilst he was burying it, it began to cry. He then stamped upon it. The other two children, he states Burridge, had put away herself, but he does not know where. A strict search for the bodies is now being made. The woman is the widow of a man named William Burridge, who committed suicide by hanging himself about eight years ago. Police promptly investigate. Although the body of the first child has been found, No evidence can be found of the other two children referred to. Neighbours are questioned. From the Western Morning News, the 4th of April 1870, the alleged child murder at Long Sutton. An inquest has been held at the Bridge Hotel Sutton in reference to the alleged child murder at the town. No further light was thrown upon the matter and the inquiry was adjourned. The excitement in the neighbourhood increases. Witnesses have come forward to speak of suspicious circumstances as to the woman Burridge. She has been thought several times to be pregnant since the death of her husband. An inquest is held. With the lack of evidence, the jury has little choice but to change the charge of murder to one of concealment of birth, from the sun the fifth of April, eighteen seventy, an inquest has been held on the body of the child found in a garden at Sutton Bridge, and which the man Triffitt stated was murdered by himself and the mother Maria Burridge. The jury returned a verdict that there was no proof that the child was born alive, but that Triffitt and burridge had been guilty of concealment of birth they were therefore committed for trial on this charge the case goes to trial but things do not go the way triffitt intended from the bedfordshire mercury the 6th of august 1870 charge of concealment of birth at the lincoln assizes on monday last before Mr. Justice Brett of Kirby Wilson, Triffitt pleaded guilty to an extraordinary charge of concealment of birth at Sutton Bridge in 1864. The grand jury threw out a bill against Maria Burridge for concealment of the birth of the same child. Triffitt gave information to the police that he had buried a child in his father's garden four or five years ago, and that it was Maria Burridge's child, and she had concealed its birth. The police found the bones of a child in the garden in the spot pointed out by Triffitt. Triffitt had been courting Maria Burridge, but as she would not marry him, he brought this accusation against her. His lordship in passing sentence upon Triffitt said, You have been guilty of a most cowardly act, the prisoner. But it was through her I did it, his lordship said. I am not sure of that. You quarrelled with her in this year because she preferred another man to you. In order to revenge yourself, you accuse her of having concealed the birth of her child in 1864. You say that you and she buried it in the garden. It is very probable all that is false. What you say is false as to her, but it must be taken true against yourself. You buried the child, and you took the police to the spot. The grand jury, having thrown out the bill against the woman, and your revenge has failed, if the bones of the child had not been found where you said they were, I should have been disposed to regard the whole story as false. His lordship then sentenced the prisoner to twelve months' imprisonment. Mr. Sills, who appeared for the prosecution, then said, The prosecution have instituted inquiries, and it is very doubtful if the child belonged to the woman at all. His lordship To the prisoner, had I known this before, I should have felt it my duty to pass a more severe sentence. It turns out that this charge is pure fabrication on your part, arising out of a dastardly spirit of revenge. From 1870 Lincolnshire we crossed the pond to Pennsylvania in the United States in 1907. This terrible crime made the national papers in its day. It was marked for the horrific nature of the murder as well as the reported beauty of the mother and victim. From the Hucknell Morning Advertiser, the twenty eighth of June, nineteen o seven. Girl buried alive. Brutal murder of a beautiful American child. Lynching feared. It is no mere form of speech to say that all America to-day is clamouring for vengeance upon the slayer of poor little Mary Newlin, the beautiful child of Mrs. Lewis, whose tortured body, bruised and disfigured by brutal fists, was unearthed near West Grove, Pennsylvania. When Mary first disappeared, kidnapping which had been Unpleasantly frequent in some parts of the United States of recent years was feared, and the child's portrait was circulated throughout the country and printed in every newspaper. She was an amazingly pretty child with fair skin, long curly golden hair, and wonderful brown eyes, and the long dark eyelashes, and for this reason probably her disappearance excited all the more public curiosity. Then again, the story of her mother got into the papers. She is a singularly beautiful woman, with chapters in her life now published and broadcast, which recall strong memories of Thomas Hardy's Tess of the D'Urbervilles. Mary was her child, and that was the source of all the trouble. A young husband, a farmer, loved her passionately, and said he cared nothing for her past, which she did not conceal, apparently, when he asked her to marry him. For many days, says the New York correspondent, the search was unremitting. The local police did not believe in the kidnapping theory. They determined to search the farm thoroughly, and they went to work. Like the English police, they drained ditches and swamps and searched haystacks and buildings, and with long steel rods, sometimes like big cheese gouges, they probed every yard of ground on Mr. Lewis's farm. All the countryside were aroused, and there were hundreds of willing helpers. INSANELY JEALOUS When the hue and cry was reaching its climax, the little girl's body was dug up within 100 yards of her stepfather's back door. A policeman's spade struck one leg as he was searching, and a few seconds later the little body huddled up face downwards, a piece of rope tied tightly round her neck, and a bag fastened over her head was completely disclosed. From the first, the police had suspected the stepfather, an insanely jealous man, and to him, when the body was found, the public prosecutor of the district promptly put the question, "'Why did you kill that innocent little girl?' Lewis grew as pale as death, staggered, and cried out, "'I I didn't do it! I can prove an alibi!' Mrs. Lewis fainted, and later showed signs of losing her reason. Lewis was arrested and charged with the murder, and although he is now lodged in the county jail, he may be lynched by his infuriated neighbours at any time. Physicians who performed the post-mortem declare that the body was covered with bruises caused by hard blows dealt by a fist. There was every indication that the poor girl had been attacked, as the public prosecutor maintains, by someone who was actuated by brutal hatred. Finally, while the child still breathed as the autopsy show, the body was buried in a hole dug as a refuse pit and the earth was filled in. Death was primarily due to suffocation. Crowds are now assembled in front of the jail, and talk of lynching is frequent. The British newspapers do not record what eventually happened to Lewis or the sad mother of the murdered child. Our last case in this episode takes place in Derby in 1922. Part con-story, part love triangle, the public and press were shocked by the cruelty inflicted on the initially missing, then discovered dead, Mrs Atkins. Interestingly, the whole case came about by a local resident. For those unfamiliar with allotments, land is put aside from which local residents can rent a portion of the plot of land to grow things, usually fruit and vegetables. Allotment space in many places have strict rules, for example, the allotment land must be used, or it's given to another to use. In this case, a clever neighbour noticed the pit that had been dug in the allotment, but it looked like a grave to him, not a pit for a tree or a plant. When he saw that it had been filled, he determined to take a look. In the dead of night, with his shovel, he went to the allotment and started digging and found the quite dead body of Mrs. Atkins. Police were called to the scene. From the Edinburgh Evening News, the 12th of January, 1922. The allotment tragedy. How body was dug up and an acquaintance suspicions. The inquest on Mrs. Maud Atkins, aged 27. Whose body was found in an allotment at Chattledon in Derby on January the second was resumed by Mr. Reginald W. Sale, the local coroner, at the Chattleston school today. Mrs. Atkins was the wife of Percy James Atkins, twenty-nine, who stands remanded until tomorrow, charged with the murder of his wife on a date in November. The husband was present in court armed with a pencil and a notepad. He started making notes as soon as the proceedings opened. We'll be back after a quick break. Bloody FM presents Hometown Ghost Stories, a paranormal podcast that investigates a new town every week, bringing you all the hauntings, from haunted houses to castles, bridges to asylums, wandering spirits to demons... Over 100 episodes covering different towns all over the world. Tune in to Hometown Ghost Stories live on YouTube every Tuesday night at 9pm Eastern or on any podcast platform and find out if your hometown is haunted. Evidence of the finding of the body was given by Thomas Gore, who said that on January the 1st he walked across the allotment in Highfield Lane on the Nottingham Road, Chaddleston, The witness said that he had heard that the last time Atkinson and his wife were seen together, they were walking in the direction of the Nottingham Road. Witness said that on reaching the plot of ground rented by Atkins, he saw that about nine yards from the hedge the soil had been dug up in the shape of a grave. He thought the matter worth more investigation, and the next day, January 2nd, he again went to the allotment and, removing some of the soil, found a woman's clothing. He communicated with the police and was present when the body was found. The dead woman was fully dressed, except that she was wearing no hat. The cause of death Dr J.A. Southern, police surgeon, who was called to the allotment, said he found the woman lying in a hole about two feet deep. Describing the post-mortem examination, Dr. Southern said the body was decomposed. The lungs were very congested, but all the main organs were healthy. He could find no marks of violence, except a small bruise on the left temple. The head and face were livid with the black-brown colour and he found no fracture of the skull witness considered the death was due to asphyxiation or suffocation caused by violence the case as expected went to trial but the evidence against atkins was certainly very damning not only was his wife's body found in a grave dug by himself on his allotment, but he had also remarried around the same time as his wife's untimely death. The Derby murder from the Cornishman, the 18th of January, 1822. The Derby murder, victim said to have been buried alive. At the Derby murder trial, the prosecution alleged that Atkins rendered his wife unconscious by a blow— and then buried her in his allotment while she was still alive. The body of Mrs Atkins was recovered from a grave dug in Atkins' allotment garden at Chaddleston, a village on the outskirts of Derby. Her husband is in custody in connection with her death. He was arrested at New Malden in Surrey shortly after the finding of the body. Margaret Milton, a smartly attired woman of thirty-two, formerly leading milliner in Derby, said she met Atkins on September the 20th at an inn whilst on a drive in Derby. He was her partner for the night. And a few days later they met again at the same place, and on coming out he asked her if she had far to go, and said he would accompany her. He told her that he was a single man living in lodgings in Nottingham Road. Subsequently, they saw a lot of each other, and he asked her to marry him. They arranged to get married on November the 14th. Mrs. Atkins disappeared on November the 21st, and the wedding ceremony took place at Bakewell Parish Church. Atkins put up the bands, and he accompanied her to her home, where they stayed three weekends during the time the bands were published. A few days before the marriage she was told by a neighbour that Atkins was a married man, and she spoke to him about it. He said he had been married, but his wife had died last year at Buckton in Huntingdon. Eventually she agreed to marry him, if he could produce his wife's certificate, and this he said he would obtain from his mother at Buckton. He told her he had written to his mother and would get an answer in a day or so. He suggested that they should wait a day or so, but she told him it was not worth while waiting for a day or so, so all the arrangements had to be made for that day. The wedding took place on November the 14th, and they lived together at their home at Cooperative Street, Derby, as a man and wife, until December the 12th. Previously, Atkins had told her that the two children were his brother's children, and when she accused him, he admitted that they were his. On December the 12th, Mrs. Cook, a former neighbour of the Atkins, came to see her, and asked her for the mother of the children, who were both with her. Witness replied that she died last March, but Mrs. Cook told her that she was alive three weeks previously. When she told Atkins of this, he said to her that he and his wife had quarrelled, but he did not know where she was. Dr. John Acton-Southern, who examined the body of Mrs. Atkins, said he considered death was due to asphyxia or suffocation the doctor said his reasons for stating that death was due to violence was the amount of congealed blood in the skull and the, the lividity of the features and engorged state of the lungs as the trial continues the timings regarding the argument between atkins and his wife the hole dug in the allotment and the planned marriage to Miss Milton become a crucial component of the prosecution. From the Nottingham Evening Post, the 17th of February, 1922. Derby murder trial. Atkins and his second marriage in wife's absence. Thought he would be able to settle down. The trial was resumed at Derby today. Of Percy James Atkins, twenty-nine, Goodsguard, on a charge of murdering his wife Maud Atkins, whose body he admitted yesterday he buried on his allotment. In cross-examination, the prisoner Percy Atkins said that when he made arrangements to marry Miss Milton, when his wife, who was from West Perry Huntingdon, living with her parents, said she would rather do herself in. To come back to Derby, she did come to Derby afterwards to bring her girl and take her little boy back. She learned of his bigamy then and agreed to return to West Perry. He thought she would then go for good, and he would be able to settle down with Miss Milton. He said he had dug a hole for an apple-tree on October the twenty ninth which was the day before. The bans were put up for his marriage with Miss Milton. Prisoner's Ordeal Prisoner was under cross-examination for two and a quarter hours, and in the box four hours altogether. Prisoner called no witnesses. Sir Atkins said the significant dates in the prisoner's own story were October the 23rd, when his wife declined to do as he wished, October the 30th, when the bands were put up one day after the hole was dug, and November the 14th, when the prisoner married Miss Milton, while he had growing bitter feelings towards his real wife. The jury finds Atkins guilty. He and his defence team fight hard. Atkins comes up with a story that he and his defense team believe would be to change the conviction to one of manslaughter over murder. From the Nottingham Evening Post, the 20th of March, 1922. Bigamy confession. Prisoner had been married to the deceased woman eight years and towards the end of this time had not been happy. Mrs Atkins apparently preferred spending most of her time at her parents' home in Buckinghamshire. Prior to November the 21st, when she met her death, she had spent six or seven months away from her husband, and during that time he had made the acquaintance of Miss Milton. Mrs Atkins returned unexpectedly towards the end of October to take one of the two children back to Buckinghamshire. On November the 14th the prisoner went through a form of marriage with Miss Milton. At that time Mrs Atkins was living in Francis Street and the prisoner was living with Miss Milton in Cooperative Street at the other end of Derby. Bigamy Confession to Wife Prisoner said he confessed his bigamy to his wife on November the 20th and she admitted She had neglected him and decided not to tell the police. Prisoner and his wife were together on November the 21st. He said that at about 8.30pm they were in Nottingham Road when they quarrelled about their children. Mrs Atkins took off her wedding ring and threw it at him, saying, "'Take your ring to your fancy woman and take your kids.' She then ran up a side street and it was dark. The prisoner stopped to find the ring and then followed her. He eventually found her lying dead in a pool of blood on a heap of stones on the towpath path of the canal. Being frightened that he might be charged with having murdered her and that his bigamy might come to light, the prisoner said he did not call for assistance but carried the corpse to his allotment where, about six weeks before, he had dug a hole to plant an apple tree. The hole had not been filled in, and he put the body in it. He afterwards went back and wiped the blood from the stones, and then went home to Miss Milton. The next day he went to the allotment and hesitated whether he should tell the police. He decided it was too dangerous, and he covered the body over. He reported sick as to avoid going to work, but the next day he returned to work. The body was found about six weeks later. The cause of death. Dr Sutherland gave evidence that death was due to asphyxia, and his was the only evidence that the woman died from anything other than natural causes. Mr Justice Sherman remarked that the issue of manslaughter did not arise unless the jury accepted the prisoner's story. They did not believe a word of it. It was quite clear the jury disbelieved the story of the prisoner. Having run through all of his possible options, Atkins is executed on the 7th of April 1922, at Bagthorpe Jail, Nottingham. That concludes this episode of Wicked Wednesdays, Murder by Burying Alive. We very much hope you enjoyed the show. If you did enjoy the show, we will be grateful if you could like or subscribe to our little channel. We upload five days a week. Mondays are murderous as we delve into the dark side of Regency and Victorian crime. Wednesdays are wicked, where we pull together stories with a similar theme, such as Doctors of Death. Fridays are frightful, where we look at crimes in a location, such as stories from the stage to murder and scandal in the aristocracy. Saturdays is Serial Killer Saturdays, where we investigate serial killer stories from the past. And Sundays is a bit of fun, with the unique mini-murder mystery where you, the listener, have a chance to solve a murderous riddle. On the last Sunday of the month, we offer a two-hour compilation of stories based around a theme. Thank you again for watching and listening. This has been News of the Times and I am Robin Coles.